Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzovino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Now what I would like to do is to tie some loose ends together and just get everything out in the open and possibly leave some time so that we can answer maybe a few questions that you may have with the Lord's help. Second Samuel chapter 11. Now, I know that there's more we can say about intercessory prayer in praying in the Spirit. Um, when you talk about praying in the Spirit, see, some people don't know what you talk about when you talk about praying in the Spirit. Put your bookmarker there. As a matter of fact, I'm led to go this way. Put your bookmarker right there. Second Samuel, 11th chapter. And find the book of Ephesians chapter 6. You find that, we're going to pray and get right into God's Word here. Father, in Jesus' name, we are vessels that desire to be filled with the knowledge of Your will. To walk in the light of Your Word and will for our lives and Fulfill the plan and program that you have for each and every one of our lives in the earth. Because we know, dear Father God, as we spend our time sojourning in this earth, it must be to fulfill thy will and not our own. And so now I believe instructions shall come into our spirits and directions shall come into our hearts to illuminate our minds. As your word goes forth in demonstration of the spirit and power and every ear is attentive and every mind is open and every heart's receptive. To the truths of your word in Jesus' name, amen. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, I want you to notice in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Everybody say, in the Spirit. Well, what does he mean when he says praying in the Spirit? See, Paul wrote that. Paul, by the Holy Ghost, was unctioned to say that. He said praying in the Spirit. Well, some people have endeavored to define praying in the Spirit. One said, well, when you pray in the Spirit, you pray with a great deal more gusto. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you pray in the Spirit, you get goosebumps. <laughs> well, what does that mean? How do you know whether or not you're praying in the Spirit? How do you know whether or not you're praying in the Spirit? Well, Paul wrote this. What did Paul say praying in the Spirit is? Go back to Second or First Corinthians chapter 14. Pray with all manner of prayer in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Look at verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, 
Howbeit in the Spirit. Where? How? In the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. Notice he said pray in the Spirit. Notice he says speaking with an unknown tongue is speaking in the Spirit. Okay, now go over to the 14th verse. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. Everybody say, my spirit prayeth. So Paul the Apostle defined praying in the Spirit as praying in an unknown tongue. Not unto men, but unto God. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now go to Romans 8, 26. See, the reason why the church has failed is because they've only used one type of praying, and that is praying with their understanding. See, he said, in the Spirit, in the Spirit, I pray. So how be it, I will pray with my understanding, and I will pray with my spirit. I will sing with my understanding, I will sing with my spirit. He's talking about speaking or praying in the language that you know, and then speaking and praying in an unknown language or unknown tongue. Really, in a tongue is a better rendering. Now, in verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, which really means inabilities to, to produce results. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself, or Himself, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And a better translation of that is inarticulate speech or the speech that you know. And he that searcheth the hearts knows knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. See, the Holy Ghost, when you're praying in, in, in the Spirit with other tongues, your Spirit has liberty to pray. And while you're praying in the Spirit, your Spirit is praying for things that your understanding doesn't have any knowledge of. But direction can come to your Spirit to illuminate your mind Lord willing. So consequently, when we begin to pray in the Spirit, and sometimes groanings are involved, as you see here, really utterances that come out of your belly, that come out of your spirit, and you don't know why you're doing it. But nonetheless, it happens. And in the Spirit, you're speaking to, with God. And then on the other hand, you can be wrestling with the forces of darkness, as we talked about. So when you, when you, you know, start talking about intercessory prayer, you can see there's different types of praying in intercession. They're speaking the word. There's praying in your own language, communicating with God or communing with God. There's praying in tongues, speaking with God. There's also praying in other tongues against the hostile forces of darkness. Now, I've always recognized the fact that when I start praying in the spirit and I'm at warfare against the hostile forces of darkness, I become very strong, bold, and very definite. And sometimes it's just like you're a soldier in battle. You know, and your body begins to respond to what's happening in the realm of the Spirit. Then sometimes there can come upon you even a weeping or a mourning or a crying out because you sense, see, the need of the individual. And you take that upon yourself and you're so burdened down with it that it's almost as though the feeling of their infirmity comes upon you in the Spirit realm. I've been in a position where I, I had no reason to feel as though I was unsaved, but I felt that way. And then I knew I was praying for somebody who was. 
See, the things of the Spirit can become either very real to us or very indistinct. Where we don't, you know, we're just not in tune with the things of the Spirit. Let me say this. The more you pray in the Holy Ghost, the more you pray with other tongues, the more you pray in the Spirit, the more sensitive you're going to be to the things of the Spirit. The more in tune you're going to be with the things of the Spirit. And the more you're going to have happen in your life in the realm of the Spirit. And so, let the Holy Ghost be your teacher. Start out somewhere. Start out praying in, praying according to the Word of God, the will of God. I pray, first of all, that intercessions, I exhort, therefore, that the prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, be made for all men, intercessions, interceding for men, use the Word to intercede with, but also use the Spirit to intercede, to pray. And it's not just one type of praying, even in the Spirit. There are different types of praying. I found myself praying in the Spirit and saying some things out in English as I was praying in the Spirit that had to come to pass. I start off in the Spirit and some things start coming in, the, in my English language and then I find out what I was talking about, what I was praying about in the Spirit. And things begin, you know, to line up. But we're going to leave that open to question. I want you to go back to Second Samuel, the book of Second Samuel. And what I want to do is I want to clarify some of these things that we've been talking about because the message has really been Strong. I believe that's a good word. Strong. A strong message. See, there are just too many Christians that just, you know, just didn't develop and grow in the will of God. And they wonder why or they wonder why. And it's because they've not done what their hand found to do. And they've not been instructed properly. They've not been taught correctly. And consequently, they've suffered well, the reason why we're given such a strong message is because for what God would have you to do in your life, the more years it goes by, the less time you have to do what God's will is. Remember I said this morning that an unsaved person cannot be actively involved in the will of God? You, you tell me how they're going to train up their children the way they should go. How could they? See, they, how can they sit around their table and teach them God's word under the unction of the Holy Spirit? Because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of discernment. How can they fulfill that most important commandment of the Lord if they're not born again? They can't do it. They can teach them religion, but they cannot teach them the truth and the reality of God's word. So they can't fulfill that. So you see, how, how are they going to fulfill the will of God in their life unless they come to Jesus and find out what it is? And before I go to this, let me say one more thing. If you, if, if you prayed that prayer this morning and said, I believe I received you know, the knowledge of God's will for my life, you continue to look at that, those scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 1, the prayer that Paul prayed. Ephesians chapter 3, the prayer that Paul prayed. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, the prayer that Paul prayed. And just keep on thanking the Father that I'm filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Just keep on saying it. You just can't do it on a hit and miss basis. You've got to do it constantly. Keep on saying it. Keep on saying it. Keep on saying it. Get before the Lord and before His presence and start saying, Thank you, dear Father God, that I'm consecrated to do Thy will. And I'm not here to do my own will, but I'm going to do Your will for my life and I'm going to fulfill it. You know, so that at the day of the Lord I can stand before Your presence and saying, At least I've done Your will in this earth. See, you have a right to live your own life if you want to. See, if you want to. You have the right of choice. But Jesus said, What will a man exchange for his soul? If you lose this life, 
for the higher life, you'll, you'll save your spiritual life. But if you'd rather live this life and give up the spiritual life, what are you going to exchange for your own soul? What could you attain in this life that's going to be so rewarding, that's going to be everlasting? These things are temporal, but those things are eternal. These things perish with the using, but those things are everlasting. So the things of the Spirit, you see, we need to develop in. Now, as I was speaking concerning judgment, and I said some things that are very, maybe hard to receive at first, but we need to understand that God is a God of judgment, and we need to understand what prayer can change and what prayer cannot change and what prayer can do and what prayer cannot do. Because remember, we are co-laborers with Him. We are cooperating with Him. See, we're working together with Him. We can't pray out of the boundaries of God's will in a certain situation. So now, I want you to see, this is the reference I was using most of the time, but I never got to the Scriptures. But I want to get to the Scripture right off the bat. Right now, I want you to look in the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel, and I want to show you how a person can get to a place that he can be judged by God. When he's judged by God, that doesn't mean, you know, he's lost his salvation. David did not lose his salvation. David did not lose out in the area of his, his salvation with God. He lost out in receiving the fullness of the blessings that God had for him. And once divine judgment was pronounced upon him in a certain area, you couldn't change that judgment if it's unconditional. But that doesn't mean you couldn't keep on praying for David. You could. And God was still blessed in certain areas. But there were certain things that he could not do for him. And we're going to see that here. But then there are other areas of judgment where we found out that they were conditional. The unconditional can't be changed, but the conditional is based upon the obedience of the individual. For an example, if you be obedient and keep my commandments and do my will, I will protect you from sickness and disease and calamity. Well, that's a promise that's based on condition. If you will do his will and keep his commandment, he said, then I will do this. If you don't do his will and keep his commandment, then I can't do this. See, it's based on our obedience to the will of God. If we obey, he can do. If we disobey, what's, what did he say in, in, in the 28th chapter of uh, the book of Deuteronomy? If you hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and obey his commandments and, and keep them, he said, then, blessed shalt thou be in the city, blessed shalt thou be in the field, blessed shalt be thou in the basket, in the store, the fruit of your labor, etc., etc. The enemy shall flee from thee in seven directions, okay? But if thou disobey, the word that I've spoken unto you, then he pronounced all the curses. So it was based upon their obedience. Now, when someone is judged, it's the same thing. It's either conditional or unconditional. And David here, we're going to see the nature of his sin. We're going to find out that he was mature. He was not a newborn babe. A newborn babe cannot be judged that way. Although a newborn babe must begin to grow and develop. But you see, David was a mature believer. He knew his God. He knew the power of God when he was watching his, uh, his father's sheep by night. We saw him take on a lion and a bear by the power of God. The power of God came on him and he slew the lion and the bear by the power of God. The Holy Ghost came on. He knew the Holy Ghost. He knew the power of God. He knew God. He knew the heart of God. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. He knew all these things and he was developing. He was growing. And now he became the king of Israel, fulfilling God's will for his life. And he did this thing in open light. But the way he did it, which we're going to see, caused judgment to come on him. Here's what happened. Verse 1. It came to pass after the year was expired, 
at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Job, his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon. And he besieged Rabbah, and David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself or bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Now, I want you to note that in the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verse 10, it says, Whosoever committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, both she and he shall be guilty of death. That was the law and the prophets. Anyone that committed the act that David just committed, which is adultery, even though he was king, doesn't make any difference, that was his neighbor's wife. That's exactly what he did. They were both guilty of death. Keep that thought in mind. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Job saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Job sent Uriah to David. Now, there's something missing over there. David knew his sin would be found. So consequently, he wanted to hide it. He wanted to cover up. And he began to plot this thing. This is premeditation. He's premeditating what he's going to do to cover up his sin because he knows he is guilty of death. Being judged by the law, he is guilty of death for what he's done. And so he's plotting this thing. He's thinking it through. He's meditating it. He's not asking for forgiveness or mercy. He's plotting a way to get out of his sin. Okay? And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Job did. And how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house. And there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. And went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down into thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark in Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Job and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. So you see, he calls her husband home from war thinking that he would come and see his wife. They would have intimate relations and it would be covered up. It would be his own child. See, he's the husband's child and not David's. So he plots this thing, but it doesn't work. And David said to verse 12 to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk, and at even... He went out to lie on his bed with the, with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. So now he's guilty of getting them drunk. He's doing everything he can to see to it that, his, that the husband would go and have intimate relations with the wife. But he wasn't doing it. Can you imagine the faithfulness this man had? Can you imagine being in the position that he was in and being so faithful? 
to the soldiers, to Israel. But he was. And David couldn't believe it. And so now he's not asking mercy. He's guilty of plotting, really deceiving. He's guilty of calling this man and getting him drunk now, which is wrong. And so he has one more thing to do. Verse 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Job and sent it by the hand of Uriah in his own hand. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Job observed the city that he assigned Uriah into a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Job, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah. The Hittite died also. Then Job sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messengers, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and then so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Know ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubabeth, Sheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him by the, from the wall, that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Job had sent for him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us in the field, and we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Job, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the mourning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, and the margin says it was evil in the sight or in the eyes of the Lord. Step number one, he committed adultery, which was guilty of death. He deceived Uriah. He got him drunk. Finally, he ended up murdering him, and after he murdered him or had him murdered, the last step, now this is a sowing and reaping process, the last step was, finally, he justified his own actions by marrying Bathsheba and saying, now that I've married her, now see this plot, it would be a cover-up, now that we're married, it's okay that she has his child. And that's why he did it as fast as possible. To cover it up. Now that it's all done and over with and now they're married, he still has a hardened heart. He still has not repented. And he goes on with life like as though nothing ever happened. It's okay. Oh, one can be so deceived. So deceived into thinking that everything is okay. See, David knew God. He knew better than this. But he sowed. He watered. He plotted, he planned, committed these terrible sins. Murder is guilty of death. Adultery is guilty of death. Actually, David deserved to die. Everybody say, David should have died. 
said there's no way he should get away with this. Adultery itself was enough for death. But now listen to the king's judgment. Chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him, and he said unto him, There were two men in, the, in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it, it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. See, it was customary in those days for some people just to have a, a lamb as a pet, just like you have a dog as a pet. And that's exactly what this individual had. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamp and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, now remember, in the position of the king, it was his responsibility to judge after these matters. He's thinking that what Nathan is saying is the truth. And it was his responsibility as the king to judge what this individual did. And when he found out that this rich man having all these flocks and all these lambs and every sheep, all that he had, and he goes and gets this one, he only has one. And he takes that one and, and he, he kills it and offers it up and gives it to his friend. Now this man is left with nothing. And David became angry. He became full of wrath. And he began to judge, and he says, in verse 5, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Now, first of all, that was against the law. The law did not say that that man that did that shall die. The law said if a man steals another man's sheep or lamb, he is to restore fourfold. That's all. If he be found fourfold, he has to give back. It wasn't guilty of death. It's in the law. But David was so angry. He was so full of wrath. He was so mad at what this individual did. He saw how terrible it was what he did. See the deception of sin? When it's in your own life, you've got a beam in your eye. When it's in somebody else's life, it's just a splinter, see? But you can see it so fine. But in our own life, we can't see it, even though it's a being. He judged and he says, this man is guilty of death. Surely he shall die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Now, that was righteous judgment right there. He shall restore the lamb fourfold. That's what the law said, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, he said the first out of anger. Then he quoted the law. The law said, restore fourfold. Now, notice the next verse. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. In other words, David, you're the one that did it. You're the one that had everything in life. All the wives you wanted. Everything you could possibly hope to have or desire to have in life, you had it. And you went and stole another man's wife, his only wife. And look at the judgment. Thus saith the Lord of Israel. Someone says, well, how will I know I'm judged? You'll know you're judged. There won't be any question in your mind. Thus saith the Lord of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives into thy bosom. And I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah 
And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things, or many more of these things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. He said, you did it, David. You're guilty of it. You did it. He didn't even repent. He justified his actions by getting married. Now, I want you to see this next thing. This is the judgment of the Lord. This is called reaping what you've sown. There's no way to stop this thing if it goes that far. Here's what happens. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee, that's number two, out of thine own house. Number three, I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it, thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. In other words, it's going to be declared. Everybody's going to know it. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt... Now notice what this is. Yeah? He can receive forgiveness for his sin. And because he received forgiveness for his sin, the Lord said, Thou shalt not die. Now what was he guilty of? He was guilty of what? Adultery is guilty of what? Murder is guilty of what? The Lord in His mercy, He's a God of mercy, but He's also a God of judgment. And in His mercy, He forgave him of his sin, meaning he did not die. But he should have been stoned to death right there. In His mercy, He was forgiven of his sin and he did not die. But now listen. All these judgments that are being pronounced will be fulfilled. And He goes on to say, next verse, Howbeit, because by this deed that thou hast done... Or thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Now, why was the child going to die? Because of what you have done. Because thou hast done this thing. Howbeit, because by this deed that thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born of thee shall surely die. Now, I want you to, if you'll, if you'll study this out, if you'll look it up, you'll find out that everything the prophet spoke as judgment or as a reaping for what David sowed in this act of sin, and especially the nature of this kind of sin, everything that came and fell from his lips was fulfilled in the life of David. He was a man of the sword or a man of, the, of war for the rest of his days. Now, you can pray for David, but you can't pray for him not to be a man of the sword for the rest of the days of his life. Because that judgment was pronounced. And it was unconditional. There was, it wasn't anything anybody can do to change that. That was direct. Now, remember I said about us as, as New Testament believers, we should never be judged of the Lord. If we were to judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But if we don't judge ourselves, then we are judged of the Lord and we are chastened so that we're not condemned with the world. This was a grave thing he did. Very serious offense. And he was judged and he was guilty before the Lord. And the judgment was this. 
I mean, if you check this out and look it up, you'll find out that even in his own house, his son was committing adultery with his wives. One of his sons killed his other son. One of his sons defiled his own sister. And it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And all the things that were spoken unto David because of judgment fell upon him. And those things could not be changed. Read on. Fifteen. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck that child. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw his servants whispered, whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from, from the earth and washed and anointed himself, and changed his apparel, and came in the house of the Lord, and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he, he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Very important. David spent seven days in fasting and prayer. The Bible says obedience is better than what? Sacrifice. Seven days in fasting and prayer and mourning over that child and could not change the judgment. Why couldn't he change it? Because it was unconditional. The judgment was unconditional. God is a just God. This was not an unjust thing. We have to realize that the God we serve, He is just. He is righteous. He is holy. And He judges righteous judgment. And when He pronounces judgment, I want you to know, in His mercy, David should have died along with everything else that, was, that happened. But what he did was actually guilty of death, and in His mercy, God let him live. But now we see that that judgment could not be reversed. Because of what he did. So David spent the rest of his days upon the earth. Yes, he lived. But he did not live in the fullness of the blessings that were his as an anointed king of the Lord. What is my point? He didn't lose his salvation, no. But you couldn't pray that that judgment be changed. It was irreversible. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get into an area in my life where I, these things start to happen. How many of you want to enter into the promised land, enter into the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ, and have them always operative in your life? Well, you're going to have to be obedient to the will of the Lord, and we're going to have to obey righteousness and yield ourselves to righteousness. Because if we're judged for sin, which is not doing the will of God, any self-willed decision that does not please God, and then we remain in it and stay in it, and after a period of time, years of our life go by, then we cannot fulfill the will of God. We can be judged of the Lord. Now, let's, let's give you the opposite of that. A conditional judgment. When Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah and said to him, the same, the king, he said, Hezekiah, the way you're living your life, I'm going to paraphrase it, the way you're living your life, set your house in order because you're going to die. That was a word of wisdom. It was a judgment, but it was a word of wisdom. He's saying, in the way you're living your life, you'll be dead soon. So set your house in order. But we saw Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and repented before the Lord. And because he repented before the Lord, we saw that his judgment was conditional based upon his repentance. And when he repented, the Lord said, I've seen your tears and I've given you so many more years. You say, well, how do I know if it's conditional or if it's unconditional? I don't know about you. I can only speak for me. 
I don't want to walk out there on the edge of the fence and find out whether it's conditional or unconditional. I'm going to stay back here in the glory where I don't have to be judge of the Lord and judge myself. How about you? Do you see what I'm talking about? But anyhow, if it's unconditional judgment, you'll know it. Just like David knew it. He knew it. He probably knew it down here too. He just didn't want to accept it. Because many times when the Lord spoke to me about certain circumstances like that, I knew it down here, but I still wept. I didn't, I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to accept it. But down here I knew that it was un, you know, unconditional. So as not to put too much fear in you, a, a young Christian cannot commit this, cannot do this. I said David was a mature person. Saul was mature. Saul knew the things of God. David knew the things of God. And uh, when it comes to the sin unto death, people get so uptight about the sin unto death. There are certain steps an individual has to take to commit the sin unto death. And the sin unto death is not what people think it is. People are being judged by the Word and the Holy Ghost. They are not responding to the unction of the Spirit when it comes to certain areas of their life. And because they do not respond to the Word, God's will cannot be done in their life. And let me give an example. If someone does not study the Word for divine healing, and they, they reject the Word of the Lord, well, healing will not come to that person's life. I said healing won't come. See, there's a judgment that takes place there. You're not believing what God said, so then we're going to be judged for that. And if we let it linger on and linger on and linger on and linger on and linger on, and we never get to what the Word says and start believing it and acting on it, then healing may never come. We've resisted the Holy Ghost. We've resisted the will of God for our lives. And you get so far out there that your spirit man won't be respond, you know, will not respond to that. And you will not, you'll be, you'll be taken captive by Satan at his will. And the only way you can get out of that is through intercessory prayer and bringing down the strongholds of Satan. Now I'm going to show you a New Testament example of this too. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. These things need to be discussed. I believe they need to be shared. They need to be said. Sometimes we neglect doing it. I don't want to neglect doing it. I want to teach about the judgment of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You will recall what was taking place in the church. Now, this is happening in many churches of today. I'm talking about full gospel, spirit-filled people living in fornication and adultery and sexual sins. And it is wrong. It's always wrong. Never will be right in the sight of God. But yet they're doing it and not repenting for it. As a matter of fact, Paul... Here in his writing said that they've some of these have committed these sins of fornication and they've not as of yet repented for the thing that they've done. Now, I want to show you in chapter five. It is report, verse one, reported common that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. That he that had done this thing might be taken away from you. I want you to see something here. He said, mourn that he be taken away from you. What did he say? Mourn what? That he be taken away from you. Beloved, this is harsh stuff. But here is an individual who obviously was approached by those that were the leaders of the church. In the spirit of meekness, they told this individual, you are committing sins, that, a sin that even the Gentiles or the, those that don't know God don't, sin, don't commit that sin. They think it's wrong to have their father's wife. You're committing adultery or fornication with your stepmother. And even the, even the heathen don't do some things like that. Some of them. Maybe some do. He said, but even, even that among them is, is considered to be, you know, 
a terrible thing. But yet here, this guy is part of your assembly, and you're letting him come to church, where you know where you fellowship, and he's doing this thing, and you've not known that he'd be taken away from you. And he goes on to say that he that had done this thing be taken away from among you, for verily I verily as absent in body but present in spirit I've judged already. See, he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Now, when it comes to the things of the Spirit, we have a right to judge those that are within, but not those that are without. Not to criticize, but to judge. Spiritual judgment. Righteous judgment. And here's what he says. As though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my Spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one to Satan, for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your glorying is not good. No, you're not that a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Now, this is important. We have to see this. There does come a time in individuals' lives, even though they are believers, even though they are spirit-filled, even though they are born of God, when they will not, they refuse to hear the, the truth or receive correction or instruction or judgment. Now, God's will would have been when, when, when someone said to him, Brother, that's wrong. You've got to stop doing that. He says, no. And then when the elders of the church or the brethren from the church or the ministry went and said, look, look, this is wrong. You're not to do this thing. This is wrong. And they weren't doing that. They were so caught up in the gifts of the Spirit. They were so caught up in the manifestation of God, the presence of God. And they were having a ball. They were, you know, just abundant in gifts. Speaking in tongues and enjoying these that they neglected morality in the church. So consequently, this thing gets in and he says, if you don't watch out, this whole body, this whole assembly is going to get involved in immorality. Because you're allowing this to take place. And that spirit will get into the church and it will overcome the church. So he said, the best thing for you to do is to get that individual if he will not stop it. Now, the best thing would have been for him to hear the truth, the word, and ask for forgiveness and just, you know, continue on with the Lord. But he wouldn't do it. And remember, something happens inside the spirit. Once you start getting involved in sin, something happens inside the spirit, and the spirit man is affected. And when it becomes affected and affected, it becomes hardened so that you become insensitive to the things of the spirit. You become insensitive to, to, to righteous judgment. You become void of judgment, a reprobate mind. What happens? One tells you. Two tells you. Sure, they're interceding and praying for you. And they should be. But I want you to see this is instruction. New Testament instruction for those that are involved in these types of sins, and it is to be should be carried out by the leaders of the church, if you know that it's going on. But it's always proper to go to them and say, look, this is wrong. You need to stop this. You need to change. Well, this guy refused to listen to any of it. And the first thing that takes place is judgment. Paul says, I've judged already, and you should have judged yourself. You should have mourned that this man be taken away from you and out of your midst. And if you read 2 Corinthians, you'll find out in the second chapter, it says that even the Father was hurt by this. He that had suffered wrong, which was talking about the Father of this, this fella. You see what he was causing to take place and happen? Now he says, okay, let's go on down. I want, to, I want you to see something here. This is very hard. In verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, 
or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. With such an one, know not to eat. My brother, my sister, that's hard. But, you know, I can't change this. Everybody say God's a God of judgment, mercy, and faith. See, sometimes if we can play on one faith, we can play on mercy, praise God. But when it comes to judgment, we don't want to hear these things. See, we, we, we become, you know, hardened to it, I think. We want to love everybody. We don't want to hurt anybody. I'm, I'm saying, well, I don't want to hurt anybody. I want to love everybody. But, you know, helping people. I want you to notice the reason why. Why this person was turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Do you know why? So the body, if need be, would be destroyed, but the spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. In other words, there was a chance the spirit might not be saved. And God's more concerned about eternal things than physical things. And he says here, as a believer, if we know that somebody is involved in these things as a believer, if that person is a believer, we're not to eat with them. Well, I know I've heard some, you know, some preacher, national preacher saying, well, you know, we're supposed to love them all. We're supposed to love them all. But I'm not going by what preachers say. I'm going by what this word says. And this word says right here that you're not to eat with them. He's talking about fellowship. That's hard. But judgment has to take place. And judgment did take place. And this is exactly what happened. That this fellow was excommunicated. For, verse 12. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. That's a hard thing. But you see, judgment is real. Now, you know what we need to do? We need to understand now when these things take place. How do you turn someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh? That the spirit can be saved. When do you do it? How do you know a person is judged? <clears throat> Another scripture we found over there in verse chapter 11. Go to chapter 11 real quick. And verse 30. For this cause many are weak, sickly among you, and many sleep. They are participating in the Lord's Supper unworthily. There's, there's some reasons why the people couldn't get healed. Many died prematurely. Many were sick. Many were weak. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Why? Why? You say, why this kind of judgment? Why? Here's, here's why. So that we would not be condemned with the world. You know, if they just won't respond, my brother and my sister, that's the mercy of God that even to give them that last final chance. How many of you read the book, I Believe in Visions? How many of you were a little bit upset because Brother Hagin says Jesus only healed him 
Ever, did you ever think about that? Anybody here? Didn't you wonder why? Why was that in that book? I heard people say to me, why was that in that book? Why does, I believe Jesus is the healer. He is all, not 99%, 100%. But do you see what we're missing here? And I have to say this because it's so. If you read very carefully, you have to read very carefully when you read anybody's material. You'll find out that he said, I was out of the will of God, the revealed will of God, the perfect will of God for two years knowingly. And he was not an image Christian. He's mature. I put my teaching ministry above the prophet's ministry and I did it willfully because I like to teach better than I like the prophet's ministry. And I disobeyed God and it went on for two years. He got out into the realm where Satan could get him. He said, Jesus said to him, said, Satan did that to you. But that was a type of judgment. He says, I'm going to heal you 99% and that's going to be a reminder to you that you were out of my will for two years. That's, a, that's an act of judgment. See, when I was young Christian, I couldn't accept that. I couldn't understand that. When I first got saved, I read that book. I said, I don't understand this. Well, I didn't understand it. But then I began to see the judgment of God. Even someone, yes, who's growing up and developing, yes, can get to a place that they disobey God. That's why we're not to look to man. Matter of fact, I want to show you another scripture, then we'll leave it open for questions here. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which... Jesus had to learn obedience. Jesus learned obedience. If Jesus had to learn to obey God, his Father, how much more do we? How much more do we? See, we have to preach the ultimate. The fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ are available for everyone. But to obtain those and attain those in that, to attain that kind of a walk, it takes an active obedience to the will of God for your life. Intercessory prayer, we thank God for it because it's there to help people to, to hold back the forces of darkness so that they can get. But the best way, beloved, is to get into the will of God and stay there, find out what it is, and don't move until you know what it is, then start acting. So keep seeking the will of God for your life and always Consecrate unto the Lord and say, not mine will, but thine will. What would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Now, it's possible this judgment can be carried all the way over to where a person actually loses his salvation. And uh, I'm going to stop right there and just leave it open for some questions because I, want, I know that some things are going through your mind. Why don't you just go ahead and just someone raise your hand up and if you have a question to ask about this thing. If not, I want to share about that judgment where one can be judged unto death. The sin unto death. Brother. How do you turn someone over to Satan? Jesus said in Luke's gospel, I do believe, well, Matthew's gospel, chapter 18. And we should follow his example. In verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. 
But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. See, there's where the scripture comes in. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, as long as that individual is allowed to come and stay under the protection of the church, see, there is a, there is a, there's protection for him. The church is condoning what he's doing. So you go to him, and if he will not hear, then you take two more, and you go to him again with a few more of the brethren. And you talk to that individual, you show them what the scriptures say, if they will not repent, if they will not turn away from it, and they know they're living in open sin, I mean this type of sin, and they will not repent, and they'll not turn away from that, then he said, go to the church. This is hard. But go to the church, and let it be known to the church. So-and-so is involved in illicit sex. So-and-so is involved in adultery or fornication, and refuses to turn from that sin. And so you make it publicly known. David's sin was made publicly known. And so by the authority of God's word and by the spirit of God, we have judged in this matter. And since this, this individual who has called himself a brother refuses to turn from sin, then let it be known that we as an assembly have to excommunicate that individual and turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit would be saved in the day of judgment. And then you don't allow that person to fellowship in your assembly. I know that's hard. But I want you to see that in Second Corinthians chapter 2, if you read it, you'll find out that this man was received back into the assembly because that action that they took to turn this man over, they excommunicated him, put him out there where there wasn't any protection, where whatever came upon his body was the cause of his sin, and whatever it was reached him. He didn't turn because of it, but you see, it reached his spirit and brought him to repentance. Remember this. The reason for this is to bring that person to repentance. He can stay in a place where he'll never come to repentance. And so he was out there, turned over to Satan, you know, denied fellowship with the body. It was known to the whole body. And then consequently, whatever came upon him caused him to repent, turn from his way, and they accepted him back into the fellowship. So it worked. So it worked. But he was a brother, see. So it's done in the spirit and it's done publicly. Sister. Well, so the thing is, they can affect the body. They can bring. If you allow that spirit into the body, he says a little leaven leaven the whole lump. Evil communications corrupt good manners. While he's among the body, sure, he's under grace. He's being protected by the body. Well, that's why you go with one brother, then you go with two brother, or then, they, then you take it before the church. If he doesn't repent, there's a possibility he could lose his salvation, which is the sin unto death. That is the sin unto death. 
which if you want, we'll explain that one in a minute. Okay? Anything else? You mean you're just in your own home? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is going on in my own home, but I can see if it happens. It could, I mean, a lot of us probably here are married to people who drink more than they ought to, and who are probably doing things in the, that are in our homes that are not. I mean, he is, you know, is that, is that outside of this? Well, he's talking about the local church. He's talking about the local church. Now, when you're when you're talking about someone who is not obedient to the word of God that's in your family, like if it's a husband or if it's a wife, the wife is instructed what to do in First Peter chapter three to live a godly conversation before the father or before the husband, so that he without the word will be won by the word. There's where you need to take your stand and and to live righteous and to live a holy life, fearing God. And when he sees your chaste conversation coupled with the fear of the Lord. Then you have the right to call upon the, the word, the name of Jesus, to, to witness to his spirit's name. So that's what we do. Well, if they know it, they're allowing it in. Well, he's not talking about those that are, you know, those that are out of uh, the body of Christ. But to put someone who, in, in any position that's out of the body of Christ, and I don't want to, you know. Well, that's what I'm saying. If someone is non-saved and represents the church, I have to question whether anybody's saved. Well, the church is the, the body of Christ is the born again church, the born again people. Now, if it's, you know, if, if the people are not born again and and uh, many things can go on. Well, that, there's no question about that. I believe if you were sensitive to the Spirit of God, He wouldn't want you to be involved in, in, in anything that was like that. So when, when they know, when it's you know, brought to their attention and they know that someone's living in open sin, they put them up to, to, to hold an office in the church. is totally unscriptural.
Well, Okay, now, but remember, the judgment is for the believer. The judgment is for the believer. If a person's a non-believer, you know, they, they should be talked to, they should be witnessed to, there's no question about that. But we could, we could talk about something like that uh, personally, I believe it would be better for us to talk about that. Brother? Okay, now, basically, when you're talking about unconditional judgment, now remember, if it's, if it's a person who's not mature in the Lord, if a person doesn't understand the things of God, they're just a babe growing up. They're not going to be judged that way. We're talking about somebody who is mature in the things of God, who knows right from wrong, who is, has tasted of the things of God, tasted of the Spirit of God, and as long as they have developed into a place of spiritual maturity and then they live in open sin as David did and, and they do not respond to the unction of the Spirit. And as you see, judgment was very plain. It was made known. It was made clear. That person will know in their own life. If you go to that person and you give that person the Word, they see what the Word says and they turn from that thing, you know, if they, di- if they just reject the Word, if they reject what God's Word says, if their heart is hardened to it, See, it's very difficult to determine in someone else's life their judgment. But inside your spirit, you'll know. Inside your heart, you'll have, a, you'll have something inside your spirit. You'll know what you can pray for, what you can't pray for. And many times the Spirit of God could just reveal to you, look, no, don't touch this. Now, it's, it's been revealed to me I couldn't pray in a certain way. I just knew down here that I couldn't pray in a certain way. That does, doesn't necessarily mean that that person can't be helped in, in other areas of his life, but in a certain area of his life, it may be you just can't reach him. I've been to where I've witnessed the people where they, they just would not receive the things of God when it comes to divine healing or being filled with the Holy Ghost. And they just have their minds set up, made up, and they will not respond to the word. Now, you can continue to intercede and pray for them that the light will come to them. If that light doesn't come to them, see, then, then the word will judge them. And they're not going to be able to, to receive in that, that portion of the word, that area of the word. But we're talking about a different type of judgment. We're talking about somebody who willingly knows he knows the truth and he willingly gets out of the will of God willfully. Remember we said willfully. David willfully did that. Saul willfully did that. These were men that were kings. They knew the things of God. They, were, they tasted of the heavenly gift. They knew the power of God. They experienced the power of God. In Moses and Aaron, they, they witnessed, children of Israel witnessed Time and time again, the power of God, the glory of God in delivering them and, and, and feeding them and providing for them. They saw all these things. They were not immature. They saw with their eyes. And that's why they were judged of the Lord. But remember, they were only judged in one area. They were not allowed to enter into the promised land. See, that doesn't mean you couldn't pray for them in other areas of their life. So it's important that what we do is be sensitive to the Spirit also. And Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. 
I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.